Well, let's pray this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians 5, 1 through 20, and uh, we'll hopefully cover this whole passage. We're getting close to being able to wrap up uh, Ephesians. I know there's at least two more messages in Ephesians, and then we'll probably uh, be done with that and move to Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And then at the beginning of the year, my plan is to start the book of Daniel. Uh, We'll just cover one through eight there. I'm not even going to go past that. Uh, So looking forward to uh, the upcoming messages. Let's pray together. Would you pray this prayer? Just give God this prayer from your heart. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, we do pray that you would be glorified and that everyone hearing this would be edified and that Satan would be horrified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a look at the passage first. Follow me as I read Ephesians 1 through 20. I know that we do large sections, and it makes me proud as a church if you think about it. Remember when we went through Revelation? We read every word of the book of Revelation from this stage, and the book of Revelation promises us a blessing for those who read it aloud. And so we we go through a lot of scripture here at Oakwood, and I love that, that we read through the context. By the end of these six to eight weeks, we will have read every a word in the book of Ephesians. And so I love that we go to the word. Let's go there this morning. Ephesians 5, 1 through 20. Stick with it and follow me, either on a gadget or a Bible. There's some in the seats in front of you in the racks. But Ephesians 5, 1 through 20. Follow God's example then as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such thing, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And try to discern what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time or making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God add a blessing to the reading of Scripture. Well, once again, your pastor, just the day and age I grew up in, I can't help it. Our big idea this morning, walk this way! Okay, well, if you're a child of the 80s, you cannot use that three-word sentence without singing it from Run DMC and Aerosmith. Walk this way. What's the way? It's, it's the way of unfailing love. Everybody say love. Last week, uh, we talked about Paul explaining uh, chapter 4 through 6, where he shifts the focus to, now here's how we should walk. Remember I taught you last week that uh, there's some themes in Ephesians. One is sit, sit in confidence of what Christ has done, and then walk with the Lord, and then stand. We'll get there when we get to the armor of God. Stand, take your stand. Sit, walk, stand. And we're in the section of walking now. And at first, Paul told us that we need to walk Together, we walk as one. We're one body, one church, one Christ, one God. And so that was his emphasis until last week. He started talking about you individually and your walk. How are you walking? How is your walk with Christ being seen by others? How are you living it out internally, externally? And so it, it's, it's about walking. And now today, as we talked about how to walk last week a little bit, We're going to learn a little bit about walking, but it's not just how to walk. Paul points us to the place where we find power to walk. How to walk is one thing, and Paul always has bullet points. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He's got bullet points. But today he also tells us, you're not alone in this process. There is power to walk the way of God. And so we're just going to walk through this, (laughs) no pun intended, we're going to walk through this passage, uh, verse by verse, and take a look at what what is being said here. But Paul, I in no way am saying that I would have written this better. I'm not a writer. I wish I was. I really have always wanted to be an author of a book, but I'm a talker, not a a writer, and so I don't have a book. Uh, And I'm not going to say that I would write this better than ordained scripture. Uh, But Paul kind of jumps around logically, and, and you got to kind of take a look through the whole passage to say, okay, where's the key verse? What is the key thought of this? And then pop back as he's been talking about it already. But whenever you get to a therefore, that's always important. And we find this therefore uh, later in this passage. And it, here's the therefore. Uh, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children children. I want to point this out because uh, Paul, there's some qualifications there. We're to be imitators of God. We know that. We as believers, we follow Christ as our example. We should be more like Christ, less like me. Changing, transforming from our sinful self to the love of Christ and how he lived out his life. But we're also told to do that as his beloved children. This is not just some whim, this is like, you are his children. Walk in the way of your father. And I, I want to put those two together and then go back and talk about what it means to be imitators. I must love him and have his heart. How can you be an imitator of God if you don't know him and if you don't have his heart? Have you ever been around somebody who's just so caring? They, they, they ooze with 
care and love. And have you ever been inspired by somebody? And you're like, man, I wish I could be like that person. They always are so giving and caring and loving and kind. They're always that way. And, and you and I can maybe try that. Those of us who do not have the gift of mercy, anybody here not have the gift of mercy? Amen. Aren't we thankful that people have the gift of mercy? We need you people. But some of us don't have that gift. And it would be hard for us just to try to be like you, those of you who are loving, caring, kind, and gracious all the time. We could try, but I tell you what we will do. We will fail every time if we don't have your heart. <laughs> That's where it comes from. We have to have the heart of the person. Amen. Jim raised his hand. You, apparently you're admitting that no grace. It, you know, it, Jim and I are the only ones at Oakwood running around trying to care for people. We're in trouble. We could probably pull some of it off, right? I mean, Jim would say, what does my wife do? And I'd be like, what does my wife do? And then we could try, but we fall short when we don't have that heart. I had one of the greatest mentors in Pastor Brian Spencer. For 25 years, I was with that man. Love, love that man dearly. Miss him dearly. And there's a lot of things that I do as an imitator of Brian Spencer. If you've ever been to one of my funerals, it's Pastor Spencer's funeral. If you've ever been to one of my weddings, it's Pastor Spencer's wedding. I learned from him. I learned from the best and I try to do what he does. But I could never pull off being the pastor he was because honestly, I just didn't like people that much. I mean, he loves people. No, I love people. I love you guys. I do. You guys are great. God has given me a heart for people to shepherd. But there are some shepherds that are just so darn good at it. Anybody ever wanted to be like Pastor Bob here at Oakwood? And you love Pastor Bob. I hear people talk about Pastor Bob. But it would be impossible to be like Pastor Bob until you develop the heart of Pastor Bob. You know, does it make sense what I'm saying? So that's why to be imitators of God, Paul tells us we need to be, we must love God and we must have his heart. How do we do that? You got to develop that heart. Over time, you need to be less like you and more like Jesus. You need to pray, God, give me your eyes so I can see. Give me your heart so I can feel in order to be imitators of God. And then it's as his beloved children. Um, anybody ever find that spot in life where you heard your dad and it was coming out of your mouth. Anybody ever have that? Everybody, did you get to that age yet where you're like, uh, like you say something, I'm like, oh my goodness, that was my dad. Every once in a while, I'll catch a glimpse in the mirror and I'll see my nose and I'm like, oh my goodness, I've got my dad's nose. Well, I always tease my dad about this big honking nose and I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm, and the older I get, the more I'm looking like him, talking like him, active, quit nodding. This is not, this is not good. I don't need that. She's not allowed to give comments during. I get the comments after, but never during. But she's like, yes, preach it, pastor. Uh, <laughs> we, we end up becoming a lot like our fathers. Whether we like it or not, there's just things that happen in us that make us sound like them. And my mom and dad watched this service, so that's not a bad thing in my life. Except for the big nose. Sorry, dad. I was blessed to have a dad that it would be an honor to be like him. But again, it would be impossible to be like him. Unless I loved him, I'd have to know him, right? And have his heart. So that's how I want to put it in context today, what we're being told to do here. 
And what are the two ways that we're told to be imitators of God as beloved children? Number one, I was made a child of God by God's grace. You need to know that. This is very important today because as we walk through this passage, it could again be very confusing that you see these bullet points and you might say to yourself, I must try these things. I must try harder in these things in order to be uh, like, I must try harder in order to be a child of God. No, you were made a child by God's grace, period. End of story. Stop the press right there. You were made a child by God's grace. You don't become a child by keeping God's laws. So here's the warning today. As we walk through this passage, you need to get this part right. We need to be imitators of God as his dearly loved children. We become his children by grace. We do not become his children by doing these bullet points that Paul tells us we should do. He's going to talk about walking. But we walk as a child of God. We don't walk to become a child of God. Does that make sense? Are you with me this morning? Our walk with God, our walk trying to be an imitator of God doesn't make us his child. The only chance of being an imitator of God is to become a child of God. And that's only by grace through faith. That's the only way. So I don't want you to leave today with some weird sense of uh, work salvation or earning it. It's not about that. You simply become his children and you find yourself becoming more like dad. You find yourself becoming more like the father. So that's where we're heading today. So let me give you the context. There's three things in the context today. Paul tells us, number one, walk in love. Everybody say love. What is this? It's, it's the way that Jesus loved me. That's the example Paul gives. Some of the words that we would use for how Jesus loved us, unconditionally, sacrificially, steadfast. That's how you were loved. We need to walk in that type of love. We need to walk unconditionally loving others. We need to walk sacrificially loving others. We need to walk steadfast, continual. It never ends. One of the best things I love about the Old Testament Psalms and Proverbs, his love never fails. Unending love, unending love. It never talks about God's love as just love. It always gives the qualifier. His love is different. It never ends. What a good thing. So we need to walk in the way of love like Jesus did. And then as an act of love to God. Paul gives the illustration that Jesus went to the cross and he died. It was an act of sacrifice. And he calls it a fragrant offering. An act of love to God, which was a fragrant offering. Which reminds me of the woman with the expensive bottle of perfume. Do you remember that story in scripture? One of my favorites. I want to take the time to read it this morning. So if you would go with me. Uh, go to Luke 7, 36 through 50. I'm just going to read it. You can follow along. It's a great story about pouring out expensive perfume. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, She brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. What a scene, huh? What I love about this scene is is it's one of those stories where you get all the senses involved. You can hear the crowd. You, You can see what's happening 
in this scene. But you can also smell as she breaks open this alabaster container of perfume. And you can't help but to feel the emotion as she's in the background at his feet. So she's down on the floor. That's where feet go. (laughs) She's down on the floor and she's so overcome, she's weeping. So you hear the loud sobbing. The tears flow on his dusty feet and she takes her hair and wipes the dirt. I mean, we got a mud pie going on here. This isn't, this isn't, and the fact that a woman in that culture would have her hair out and use her hair for that purpose, it's unbelievable. You just, it's unheard of. The Bible even talks about the crown of a, a woman is her hair. And, and uh, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Probably because we as men lose it. So we don't appreciate it as much as women do. But the hair is special. And here she is using it to just wipe the dirt off Jesus' feet. But what strikes me most is about what happens next. He, he was invited into a home of a, an important person. He's got a, a host that has him in the home. Now, we don't know why this woman or how this woman got in the seat. The Bible declares that she is a sinner. I don't want to read into that way too much, but probably she was known as a prostitute because the Bible wouldn't indicate there was a woman and she was a sinner. So it makes it very clear that she's a woman that people didn't admire and respect very much. How did she get in the house? Well, at that time, uh, religious people were known to be uh, higher up and, and further along, I guess, in the, in the faith if they allowed the lowly. We allow the lowly to be there. And so this was probably an act of piety on the, the host part. Well, we'll, let, we'll even let this sinner, that'll look really good when Jesus comes in. There's this woman and that we allowed her to be there. And Jesus is having none of it. He knows what's going on. So think of that contrast as we continue in the story. Now, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered to him. Now, that's one of my favorite parts of the story. I love that this pious man, he was actually on a mission to figure out this Jesus, because everybody's talking about him. And there's a big divide on what we're going to do with this Jesus. And so he takes it upon himself. I'll just have this guy in my house. I'm going to, I'm going to question him. I'm going to figure, I'm going to come to the bottom of this, right? We're going to figure out who this guy really is. And so he's playing the game before he even has any conversation with Jesus. He's looking and saying, look at that. That sinful woman's touching him. That makes him unclean. He can't be a religious leader. He's letting the sinner touch him. In that way, oh, okay. It's in his in his mind. He never says anything out loud. In his mind, he says he should have known what kind of woman she was. He shouldn't have let her touch him because she's a sinner. And then Jesus answered him. Don't you love that? Nothing was said out loud, and Jesus responds to Simon. His attitude in his heart. He says, "Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher." And here's what Jesus says. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled both the debt of both. Now to which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Which by the way was Jesus' way of saying, your problem is you're judging. (laughs) He's letting him know right there in his comment there that, hey, Simon, you're big problem is you're very judgmental. 
You have judged correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. I love that part of the story. It might be overlooked. But Jesus was invited into a fancy person's home. And he's got a host. And yet at this moment, when when he's talking to Simon about being judgmental, the Bible says he turned to the woman and spoke to Simon. He spoke to the host with his back to him. And that's huge. In the culture, that would have been a sign of shame. And what Jesus says next cements that. As Jesus turns his back on the host, he looks and he says, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. This is a a huge thing that Jesus is pointing out the host's failures. Any decent host would have put at least the the pan of water and the rag at the door so that people could self-service their feet. That would be the least you could do. You literally should have one of your servants there with the water to wash the feet of your guest. This is in the day, it was very rocky, very very dusty, and they they wore air Jesuses. And so they they had the open feet, right? And the leather strap, and it's just dusty. It's a mess, it's just a mess. There should have been somebody at the door. I mean, it's incredible if the host himself would stoop himself to wash the feet. But apparently only Jesus does that. (laughs) This host didn't even have the water there. And Jesus points it out. He said, do you see this woman? You didn't have water for my feet. And yet she has not stopped wetting my feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. Then he says, you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. One of the things in that culture was that you greeted people with a kiss. The Bible talks about greet one another with a holy kiss. I've talked to you about uh, South American and then over in um, Europe, it's very common to do the, you kiss people on the cheek. You greet one another, you grab them by the face and you just, you give them the kiss. That would have been common. Nobody would have thought that was odd, but this person didn't, Greet Jesus at the door with water for his feet or even give him the traditional kiss. Jesus is pointing out the failure there and he's also pointing out how this woman has exceeded by kissing not only his, his head but kissing his feet. Then he says, you, you didn't anoint my head with oil but she's anointed my feet with this ointment. That, that one's the only weird one that wasn't common. That wasn't common at all. You didn't pour oil on everybody who came into your house. But I think what Jesus was doing is pointing to what he was there for. The fact that she was anointing his feet with this expensive perfume and he didn't even recognize Jesus as being worthy of that blessing. The contrast is stark. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories of scripture. And and I tell you, as you look around the room and the people that were present there that day, I would always want to be the woman on the floor, 
rather than the pious believer who is judging. The contrast is huge. Be imitators of God, it says, be dearly beloved children. How do we do that? By loving and receiving love. Giving and receiving love like this woman who, whose sins were many. It's just very clear that Jesus said, the one who is forgiven much loves much. And here's the honest truth. Nobody is forgiven little, but people perceive that they're forgiven for little. And if you perceive that you don't have much to be forgiven for, then you don't get it. Simon didn't get it. He was religious, but lost. He was counting on his own piety and righteousness, and he was falling so short. Sure, this woman had a list of sins, but that's no problem for Jesus. He can set that clean. But that pious, religious, judgmental spirit, it lacked love. It lacked expressing love. And here's what Paul is trying to tell us today. The first way we can walk this way is to walk in love. Two things, love God, love people. Let's say those two together, ready? Love God, love people. That's the center of the mark. That's what Jesus was asked. What's the greatest commandment? Love God, love people. That should be our aim. That should be our target. Walk what way? Walk in the way of love. Love God with everything you've got and love people more than you love yourself. And it's not only a fragrant offering, which it was incredible, the expense that this woman gave. She broke the expensive alabaster jar to get the perfume out. It's a one-time use situation there. And usually you handed that down from generation to generation. She broke it, poured out the ointment as, a, as an offering, but it was also a sacrifice. And Paul says that we ought to walk in the way of love. What is the way? It's Jesus' way. He was a fragrant offering to God, but he also sacrificed. Gave his life. Look through and see Jesus. How do we sacrifice? Do you have a hard time with certain people? Do you have a hard time getting along with certain people, even other believers? They rub you the wrong way. You have a little bit of strife between fellow believers. Well, walk in the way of love. What does that mean? Look right through them and see Jesus. That's how we ought to do everything we do for people. Look right through them and see Jesus and do it for Jesus. I think that's what Paul is trying to tell us here. He's trying to tell us about a different way of living, about a different way of caring for people. The Bible says, Jesus himself said, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And the people said, when were you naked? When were you hungry? When were you thirsty? And Jesus says, as you do to the least of these, you do it to me. So I, I implore you as a church, we need to walk in the way of love, which means you don't have to agree with a person, get along with a person, have the same interest as another person, but you must love them as you're loving Jesus. I can love Bruce, but when I love Bruce, I look right through him and I see Jesus. And when I love Bruce, I want to love Jesus through him, through him. I think sometimes we have a barrier of the person don't let any person be your barrier. Love them like you would love Jesus. That's the center of the mark. That's walking in love. Everybody say love. And the second way, walk in light. Prepare yourself.
I realized during the worship that we, uh, we didn't turn off the projectors, so you can see a little bit. Do you like my new light? My wife gave me a Father's Day gift. I finally redeemed this week. I went to a uh, uh, tractor supply company. She gave me, a, uh, and I thought, I need this for an illustration, so now I got a really cool light. You know what I like about this light? Everybody who I'm shining in the eyes is reacting right now, because this light is very pointed. It's very strong. And the passage here, as we look at it, it tells us some things about this light. Let me look at that passage just for a little bit. Stay with me. You don't need to read unless you've got a gadget, right? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Try to discern what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. My illustration for you this morning is as Christians, we need to walk the way of light. And light is an incredible thing. If it was pitch black dark in here, it would be even more stark, the contrast between where there's light and where there's darkness. And God says that we need to, as children of the light, expose. I love your, you got a bicycle thing on because it's glowing when I hit you on the light there. That's pretty cool. I love it. The light does incredible things. See, look at her, and then boop. I love that. The light exposes. Where it shines, you can see, right? And that's what the illustration here in Scripture, go ahead and turn the lights back on. I should keep the cool light on. Ooh. No, I'm going to take it off. Light does many, many things. The key is, we need to shine. Is, is this you out in that world? Because out in that world, it's dark. <laughs> and people don't know God, and they don't respond to God. They don't act godly. They're not imitating God. They're doing anything but imitating God, because they don't know God. They don't love God. They don't have the heart of God. We are different. We're to be children of love. Everybody say love. We're to be children of light. Everybody say light. And there's one thing I know about light. Jeff, you and I can talk more because I love having a science teacher in the room. There's one thing I know about light. When light shows up, darkness loses. There's just no option. I don't even know that there's much of a fight, Jeff. I don't know if you guys have slowed down time and looked at the fight between light and darkness. But when light, boom, appears, darkness has to flee. Anybody disagree with me? When light shows up, darkness loses. Light always wins. It can't get so dark in this room that this light would be ineffective. Do you understand that? Anybody ever been to a Mammoth Cave, Kentucky? How many have been down in the Mammoth Cave, Kentucky? Thank you. Thank you. That was in my family at some point, and we're probably still making some money off that, so please go and visit. Um, we, we love Mammoth Cave in Kentucky because you go down in there, and you know what they do. You, they get you in there, and, and you see the cool stalactites and the malactites and whatever tights, the hittites and parasites. I don't know. You, you see all the cool stuff in the cave, but then everybody's favorite moment is when they get you in the big chamber, and they gather you around. They make you sit down because they know what they're going to do next. They're turning off the lights. And when they shut all the lights, it is dark. I mean, pitch black dark. Have you ever experienced that? Literally, you can put your hand in front of your face and you cannot even see an outline. It is so dark. But let me tell you, it's not so dark that if you turn the light on, that the light would just be like, oh, I couldn't do it. It's so dark. Do you understand the difference between dark and light? Be on the light team because the light 
team always wins. <laughs> the light shines and it beats the darkness. And that's why Paul is trying to say, here, here you are, children of God, yes, beloved children of God. So be children of love, be children of light. Your light shows up anytime you enter into a dark world and it's just truth. And your light exposes darkness. It, it, it's, a, it's a searchlight, it's a beam, it's a safety light, it's a, a, a light of protection. But we shine, everybody say shine. We shine in darkness. I'm just going to leave that on there. Four words that I like when I think about shining in darkness from this passage is walk, discern, avoid, expose. As you look at what Paul says here about children of light, I just boil it down to those things. It's about our walk, and aren't you thankful when you walk not in darkness? Have you ever walked in darkness? It's no fun to walk in darkness. Have you done the tiptoe around the bed at night without turning a light on? Right? Have you ever done that shuffle? You can't see anything, so you're being careful. Anybody ever run their toe right into that thing? Oh... I've got a toe, uh, uh, four of my toes on one foot go this way, one of them goes that way. It's weird. And I'm sure I broke it at some point, never got it fixed or anything. Uh, And I'm sure it was in the darkness, and I'm sure it's when I ran my foot into something. We had teens we would take on uh, trips, and I remember we got to this uh, campground, and we set up camp for the night, and, and they had all those metal fire rings all over the place. And as it got dark, the kids were starting to run, play hide and go seek. And one of the kids was running barefooted. And I remember saying to the kid, hey, whoa, 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 just put shoes on. I, I'm not a big rules guy. I'm not. I, I like everybody to have a good time. Let's have fun. Let's not hurt anybody or kill anybody or anything. But let's, you know, let's be safe. And so I told the kid, put some shoes on. You don't want to be running around in the dark without shoes on. He didn't listen. I was sitting at our campsite, and I could hear the kids like, ah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, ping, the ringing of a fire pit. Followed by, ah, (laughs) ran over there with a light. And sure enough, this kid had broken his big toe and he's screaming. He's like, is it broke? Is it broke? And I'm looking at it and it's pointed totally the other way. I'm like, oh yeah, it's broke, you know? And this is a great time to talk about not running around campsites without shoes on in the dark. Oh, that was awful. Watching the doctors take that toe and put it back in place. The whole time I'm thinking, I hope he learned a lesson. I hope the rest of his life he walks with shoes on and in the light and tells his kids, hey kids, be careful. (laughs) I'm sure he's probably having that conversation today. There was a time when my toe pointed south when I was heading north. You know, (laughs) light does this for us. Walk in the light. Don't walk in darkness. Discern, that has to do with wisdom. With light, you can make some choices. Shine the light to make good choices. When you shine the light, you'll see that there are things you should avoid, right? Um, Driving the car, use your headlights at night. Uh, My mom and dad are from the south, and my mom and dad both uh, had grown up in... um, Charlestown, Indiana. The thing I loved about going down home was the country roads. And my dad had grown up driving those country roads. 
winding and then, you know, you'd lose your stomach. We loved it because he'd drive fast and it, woo, and it was so fun on the riding curvy roads. But every once in a while, we would go down this road in the nighttime and, and my mom would be telling him, don't do it, don't do it. But he had to. He's like, hey, kids, watch this. And he'd shut off the lights of the car and we'd scream. And you could feel the car going downhills. My dad knew those roads like the back of his hand. But when the lights were out, it was freaky. I, I was always so confused being a city boy about these roads. And I even asked my mom and dad, I said, man, why do the roads go up and down and around and curve so much? And my dad told me. And to this day, it's got to be true because my dad told me. When they ordered the road, they ordered it too long. And in order to make it fit, they had to make it. <laughs> so to this day. Road commission people, I don't know what's wrong with you. But driving in darkness, you can't avoid what comes into the road or what's there. Paul tells us we ought to walk, we ought to be a bright light shining in the darkness. We need to walk with confidence. We need to discern by seeing. We need to avoid by seeing. And we need to expose because there's, there's things out there that need to be exposed by light. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They want to hide it. But David even said in Psalm 139, the night becomes light around me because darkness is as day to you. Everything is revealed by God. Everything. There's n- we don't hide a thing. That's why we're called children of light to shine in the darkness. He tells us why, because it's improper and it's out of place. Paul says, you don't walk in darkness, that's not proper for the children of God. Once you become a child of light, there's no need to run around in darkness any longer. That's out of place. Don't walk out of place. Here's out of place walking. Sexual immorality. That's the first thing he brings up. Sexual immorality is expressing sexual fulfillment in a way that doesn't agree with God's plan. In other words, if you're not married and you're having sex before marriage, that's called fornication. If you are married and you're having sex out of that wedding, that's called adultery. Both of those are sexual immorality. Using your sexuality out of place out of God's template, out of God's plan. And that's the first thing he talks about, about darkness and improper walking. Don't do this, he says. It's out of place. Let me look at it, find it here real quick. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, what kind of things are impure? He talks about obscene, foolish, and coarse talking and joking. There shouldn't even be a hint of it, he says. This is the way of darkness. As children of light, we shouldn't walk this way. Avoid these kind of things. And then Paul takes it even a step further, and he, he talks about greed. And I love this because Simon type of believers... Simon was the uh, uh, righteous person in the story with the alabaster jar. He was the high up ranking religious ruler. 
pious religious people are all amens when it comes to this passage about sexual morality. Like, oh, that's right. You tell them, pastor, all these people sleeping out of wedlock and doing bad things. You tell them, pastor, improper living, debauchery and, and coarse. Tri- yeah, you tell them, pastor. And then he adds in greed. The Bible is always an equal opportunity offender. Because I think it's easy for some people to say, this is not my problem. Sexual it's not my problem. Impurity, that's not my problem. But then he goes to greed and covetousness, wanting things that aren't yours. And I think he's just including everybody. And it would be easy to leave that out. And I've had so many people come into my office and talk to me about how, well, the Bible says people that uh, do sexuality wrong, they can't go to heaven. I'm like, it also says if you're greedy, you don't get to go to heaven. Let's add that one too. Let's not just pick on something that's not your sin. All sin. Can I tell you what Paul is getting at here in this passage? Darkness has no place in the light. If light is light, darkness has to flee. We as children of light can't be living in darkness. It's just so clear. What are these three things? Well, Paul makes it very clear what they are. They're all idolatry. And that's why he's saying that these people have no part in the kingdom of God because they're idolaters. What's an idolater? A person who worships any God but God. And God takes that very seriously. So what's the sin? The sin is selfishness. Again, we talked about it last week. What's the great sin? The sin is selfishness. Whether that's acted out sexually or improper behavior, or greed. That's all worshiping something other than God. Doing it your way despite God's plans. And there's no place for that in the kingdom of God. Idolatry is the issue. I, I, I don't want anybody to read a passage like this and say, well, uh, it's very clear that I'm doing pretty well. You know, I'm not having that struggle. I'm not having that struggle. No, we all struggle with sin. And the battle is, who's God? That's the battle. And if you get any other answer for that question except for God, then you're an idolater. You're putting something in his place. Pleasure, self, something goes in the place of God. That's why Paul is using, please, please don't just cherry pick certain bullet points of Paul's comments. We do that as Christians. We pull out the ones that are like, boy, I really want to hammer this one. No, no. Sin is sin. Sin has a root in selfishness. Selfishness is idolatry. It goes against God. Darkness and light. (laughs) Which is it? Darkness or light? When I talk to the teens, I always show them this ring. Some of you have seen me do my kid's trick. It's a magic ring I use, but it's also a special ring that I wear every day. And on this ring, it has the verse 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and 4. I wear this every day because it's a reminder to me that God says, do not take advantage of somebody. Do not commit sexual sins because there's a penalty for such things. And the thing that makes God the angriest about it is taking advantage of somebody else by mopping up your needs. You can do that with greed. You can do that with improper joking or improper talking. You can do that through... Any form of sexuality that God doesn't approve. Those are all things that are darkness. I wear this to remind me every day that we're called to be different and to live different. 
Third context I see is walk in wisdom, verses 15 through 17. Walk in love, everybody say love. Walk in light, everybody say light. Walk in wisdom, everybody say wisdom. And we got to define wisdom. Wisdom is making decisions that fit well with God's standards. Does that make sense? Use that light to expose darkness and make decisions that fit well with God's standards. Don't continue to make decisions that don't fit what God says is right. Why? Because the culture we live in is evil. You know that, don't you? This culture is evil. I used both translations when I was talking about that line. In, in one of the translations, it says, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Everybody say redeem. You know what redeem means? We are redeemed people. I was telling Julie, it was really cool this week. I, when I go into a bean to go in Goodrich, there's a lot of workers there. And, and I don't know them, but they know me uh, because they go to Camp Barakel. They've either worked at Camp Barakel because Kurt that owns a bean to go is a Christian man and he hires a lot of Christian teens. And so it's weird as I go in there, I'll order a coffee and then the, one of the teens will look at me and they're like, how you doing PD? I'm like, oh, they know me. Okay. I'm like, how do you know me? And they're like, Barakel. I've heard you speak like five times. And we have little conversations. And so I went there last week. And as I was driving to Abinago, I realized I have got a ton of stars. You know what stars are? Things that coffee addicted people love the most. Okay. And so I went into Abinago's drive-thru and I ordered a coffee. And I said, and by the way, I want to use my stars. I have lots of stars. So I pulled up and it was the girl. And she had just asked me the week before. She is like, uh, PD, when's the next time you go into Barakel? I'm like, I'm on my way there right now to speak at a men's retreat. She's like, wow. So as I pulled up, she's like, how did the men's retreat go? And we talked about that. And I said, I want to use my stars. So she came back to me and she was so cute. She, she's like, here's your coffee. You've been redeemed. <laughs> and she didn't think I got it. So she said, because you've been redeemed. I'm like, I get it. I get it. Don't mansplain it to me. It's, she was so happy to use that word redeemed. You're redeemed. My stars were redeemed. I've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. And the Bible says that as children of light, we need to redeem the time. Why? Because the day is evil. The culture we live in is evil. It also says we, we, our walk with God has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. You don't redeem something without intentionality. You don't uh, uh, imitate God accidentally. The truth is that the Bible tells us that the church is on a rescue mission. And the wise walk makes the most of every opportunity. That's what the Bible is saying. You're living in evil times. You got a couple options. You could just sit around complaining about how evil this world is. And, and maybe, maybe if we elected somebody, we could fix that. You can spend a lot of time. And I'm just here to tell you, I've read the book from the beginning of the end, and it kind of gets worse as we go. I don't think hiring somebody to take over an office is going to fix that. The days we live in are evil. We can spend all our time saying, well, let's, let's make it better. Let's fix it. We'll just make everybody be good. Everybody be nice. Everybody be imitators of God. They're not his children. They don't know him. They don't love him. They're never going to act like him. So what is redeeming the time about? Trying to change our culture so that we're more comfortable? Not at all. Redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity. Pick them off one at a time. Let them know Jesus. Let Jesus be the greater cleaner upper. You want to change society? Let's get more people saved. You want to change the world you live in or the world around you? Have God come in and be the greater cleaner upper. 
and change people from the old to the new. Have people see instead of be blinded by darkness. That's redeeming the time because the days are evil. That takes intentionality. That takes thinking about what can I do to make the most of every opportunity. We've got to close it because we're already over today. I'm sorry, but avoid potholes. Paul then does some work. And again, I know I'm going from beginning to end and back to the middle because just logically for me, it made more sense this way. He talks about potholes for those three ways of walking. If you're walking, avoid potholes, right? You've got to see them, avoid them. Don't walk in potholes. What are these potholes? Number one, false assurances. False assurances. Empty words, Paul says. Don't listen to empty words. Some people will just preach. It's fine. Do what makes you happy. God won't care. That's a lie. Those are empty words. God does care about sin. God takes sin seriously. So don't listen to empty words that say, oh, you're under grace. We're under grace, not under law. Everything's fine. No, no. Walk as children of light. Avoid darkness. It matters to God. Walk this way. And then avoid false comforts. And then he talks about wine and the Holy Spirit. Again, listen to me carefully when I talk about this. Uh, These are very tricky subjects. Um, The Bible is not a dry book. In other words, if Paul wanted to, he could have said, do not drink anything intoxicating. He could have said that. Instead, he says, do not be drunk on wine. It's drunkenness that is the issue here. Now, I will say, there are people that have said, I will never drink alcohol, and I'm very proud of that. That's great. If, if that is your, if that is your line that you've drawn, because you cannot get drunk if you don't drink. <laughs> so that's a good choice to make. You can make that choice. It's honorable. For those of you in the room that have had an experience with alcohol and it's been a problem, then it's vital to you that you keep walking without alcohol. But the Bible doesn't tell everyone that that is that standard. So each of you must make up his own mind, Romans 14, and keep it to yourselves and God, okay? So whether you choose not to imbibe, that's between you and God. Whether you do imbibe, that's between you and God. But all choices should avoid drunkenness. Why? Because it's about a depressant versus a stimulant. Alcohol, by the way, I'm going to use the word alcohol, but there wasn't such a thing as alcohol. There was intoxicating drink. Alcohol was a way later, um, and it's, it's much more intoxicating now. But the difference is depressant versus stimulant. Alcohol, according to Paul, would dull your senses, and the spirit makes you more aware. There's a contrast there. Being drunk versus being filled with the spirit. Be less aware or more aware of reality. We know that alcohol does that. It dulls your senses. Maybe it makes you feel better for a moment, but I've traveled the world for substance abuse counsel and talked to people about any substance that would dull your senses. It might make you feel good for a moment, but when you come back, guess what? All your problems are still there. None of them got fixed, right? Amen? You you can't fix a problem by drinking it away. You can't fix a situation by smoking it away. If you have a relationship issue and you choose to get drunk or high, then you're avoiding it, but it's still there. And when you come to, it's there and probably got worse. So don't, don't use being drunk as an escape of reality. The Holy Spirit, in contrast, will help you with the reality, make you more aware of the reality. Getting drunk gets rid of worry. 
by making you forget. But again, temporary. It only is temporary. After you're not being drunk anymore, you're aware of your worries. And they're probably gotten worse during that time frame. What does the Spirit do? It gets rid of worry by helping you remember who God is. Getting drunk can make you courageous. Stupid, but courageous. Have you ever seen videos of drunk people doing courageous things? A little liquid courage maybe, right? But that kind of courage isn't good. It's, it's, It's courage that's dangerous. The Holy Spirit gives us courage by showing you how much bigger God is. Paul is making a great point here. Don't fall for false assurances and don't fall for false comforts. As children of the light, live by the Spirit. The Spirit is our light. It helps us walk and know. Our Spirit gives us light. It's much better than the avoidance. So we're called to a new way of living and I'll be done. Filled with the Spirit. Go ahead and come up, uh, Tracy, with the team. Called to a new way of living. What is that way of living? Filled with the Spirit. What is that? It's the soundtrack of Scripture constantly playing in the background of my relationships. He ends this passage by talking about music and worship. Isn't that interesting? As children of light, we ought to be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why? Because it's the soundtrack of who we are, right? When you show up as a child of light, you're also coming not only with visual, but with audible. There's a soundtrack playing. I don't know if, if any of you know this. Uh, Mark, could you do that for me? Play one of the pads, would you? Just pick any key. It doesn't matter. Did you hear that? Mentalist. He's got a little thing back there, and he pushes a key, and it just plays... Right? (laughs) He just went minor key on me. (laughs) Go back to the... You might not hear it as you live your daily life, but as believers, you can turn it off, Mark. As believers, we're walking in light and there's a soundtrack that's playing behind us everywhere we go. And it's the soundtrack of love and light and wisdom. I want to close just by telling you what happens when tragedy strikes. When tragedy strikes either a life of an unbeliever or a believer, there's either songs of despair or songs of hope. There's either songs about fear or there's songs about God possible. There are songs of I can't and there are songs of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's songs of hope lost and there's songs I will never leave you nor forsake you. Friends, raise your kids in the anthem of faith. The anthem of being a believer is the anthem. It's the soundtrack. Worshiping flowing from your hearts. Thanksgiving flowing from your lips. This is who we are. Walk this way. Walk as children of love. Everybody say love. Walk as children of light. Everybody say light. Walk as children of wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. And if you do that, not only will you see, others will see. Not only will you hear, others will hear the soundtrack of who we are. Let's end with the soundtrack of the blessing today. Stand with us and we'll close. I'll come up and pray.
this whole kingdom of heaven and what's not allowed there and what is. The contrast is about practicing sin or struggling with sin. The way of darkness practices sin without any thought or regard. It just practices it. Are you living a life practicing sinfulness or are you living a life struggling with sinfulness? We struggle with sin. That doesn't make us kicked out of heaven. But if we're doing the struggle, that's walking in light. Walk in light. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for coming.